Oh God, you are the great and mighty God of this universe. Lord of lords, King of kings, high above the heavens, worthy, worthy of our love and our devotion, our obedience. We humble ourselves before you today and acknowledge you. We are but man. You say in scripture, who is, the, the psalmist writes, who is man that you are mindful of us and we stand in wonder of that, that you would care about us and yet you do. Personally, practically, you, you care about us and so Lord, you, we, we bow our knee to you and we humble bef ourselves before you and just proclaim that you're the great and mighty God and you're worthy of all that we have. So Lord, we pray now in this hour that our hearts would be very open to you. I believe that every person is here today by divine appointment, that you, the sovereign God of this universe who superintends over everything, has brought each of us to this point in time. So, Lord, I pray that I would get out of the way and that you would be lifted high and that you would be seen in all your power and glory and splendor. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome again to 12th Avenue Baptist Church. We're so glad that you're here. Um, I've uh, been gone a couple weeks. Uh, two weeks ago, it was planned for Garen to preach, and he talked about building bridges and did a great job. And last week, I got sick, and uh, on, Jason filled in for me on short notice, so a big shout-out to Jason Hubner for filling in. So... Uh, Garen talked, I want to just, let me build on this a little bit, because all this kind of fits together. I, I, I've, I just had a, as I was on sabbatical last year in, 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 in October, and I was thinking and, and, and praying and, and looking ahead, and I was thinking about what, what did God have for us in 2017. One of the things that just kind of floated to the top for me is um, this, this need for us to make disciples. Not, not in a sense of, of arrogance or a sense of, oh, look at us, or building our church, or, or all those kinds of things. Not, none, of, none of that kind of stuff. But just in the sense that every person matters to God. Every single person on this planet matters to God. And he loves them so much. And so as I was thinking about this, I realized what's more important what is more important than for us to communicate to other people that there is a God in heaven who loves them and cares them and wants to have a relationship with them wants them to be adopted into his family so uh, this month was kind of making disciples month and then I've already I've lost a week out of it so you know, you may get some more this year. It may bleed over. I, I won't try to squeeze three sermons into two. That would not be fair to you, nor me probably. But um, So we'll, we'll probably have a little bit of stuff I didn't get to. 
that I'll get to later. But I'm going to try to build on what's been said. What Garen said was so spot on about building bridges to people. Um, you know, it, 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 is, it is about relationships. Uh, the old saw is that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And, and I just want to say that treating people right whether they ever respond to the gospel of Jesus or not, treating other people with respect just because they're human beings, treating people well. I just want to say, if, if we don't get that right, we're never going to have a chance to even communicate this wonderful, glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We won't even have a chance. The door will be shut because we haven't treated those people right and well, and so we need to do that. A couple verses, passages that Garen used. Colossians 4. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. That, you know, it's grace. It's, it's seasoned with salt. It's, it's this... You know, treating people like you would like to be treated. And then it says over in 1 Peter 3, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Do this with gentleness and respect. Um... You know, we, you know, and I know some people in the name of Jesus, they can be very bold and, and sometimes um, uh, think they're, they're being bold for God and what they're being is being disrespectful to other people and the way they talk to other people. And, and there's just, we, we don't want to do that. Uh, Jason talked last week about us being salt and light in this world and being different in this world and making a difference, and that's just going to happen. I want to segue into to talking some today about making disciples, and I want to use some verses from John, and I'm going to skip all over the place, so I, I've just got lots to say. I, I, I was struck by something that Warren Harshman said a, a month or so ago. Warren made a video, and you might have been here when he shared about his burden to share the gospel, and something that didn't make it into the, the video out of our conversation um, that, 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 that didn't get there was just... Something to the effect, I don't remember exactly how he said it, but he just reminded me why evangelism is so important, why sharing our faith is so important. And it's that heaven is real, but hell is real also. And I think in our culture today, we've, we've become very positive about the gospel and the good news of Christ, and we should be, but we ought to re always remember that hell is still a reality for people who are on the outside, and that ought to grip us. Some verses from John. John 3.36 says this. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. There's that hint of hell and separation from God. John 5.24. Verily, very truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. John 20, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, 
the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, I don't have time this morning to unwrap this idea of believing. Believe in, in the Bible and believe in the book of John. Uh, believe in John and faith in Romans is talking about the same kind of, the same kind of thing. They're talking about this, this uh, deep level of trust and confidence and yielding and surrender to God. So it's, it's much, long, much more than I believe George Washington was the first president of the United States or that the earth is round or something like that. That's, it, it's, it's a much deeper word than that. And that's what we are called to. As I was thinking about this whole idea of making disciples, I remembered uh, hearing a, a talk by Andy Stanley. And, and so I went back and watched the talk again. And and he was talking about the idea that, that, that churches are very different. A lot of churches are very different. And, and I, I just, you know, I always, okay, I just I always hate this. People, somebody will visit our church and they're here and say, oh, I just moved here from Houston or I moved here from Denver or I moved here from Chicago, whatever. I just love my church there. I went, oh, no. Because I'm like, every church is so different. And I'm like, you know, I, I just, we're not going to be exactly like that one. I mean, and God bless them, and I'm sure it was a great church, and I think we're trying to be a great church and do the great things and do things for God, but we're just going to be different. Every church is unique. But Andy Stanley talked about the fact that all churches have some things in common, and they have the core in common that we can't get away from. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 16. I want to read this. This is, this is pretty powerful stuff. Matthew chapter 16, uh, beginning in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? Referring to himself. They say, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah, There's still others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole uh, Peter's role and whether he's the rock and what that means for him to be and all that. What I'd like to focus on is that Jesus made a, made a very bold statement. He says, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build a gathering of people around this one central truth, around the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of of the living God. I'm going to build a church about that. And I think sometimes we forget the miracle that it is that we are here in 2017 today to gather in the name of Jesus. It's, how, it's incredible that we end here. And so I, I want to use part of Andy Stanley's talk. He was talking about the, when he's giving the Great Commission to the disciples. Let me just, we'll just watch a few minutes of it. I just gripped by that. And I was thinking about that. Can you imagine? On that hillside there, you know, he says, I'm going to build my church. And they're looking around. 
How did it make it out of the first century? You know, if you lived in that time, you would have thought that, you know, the kingdom of Caesar Augustus was just, it was everything. It was the greatest kingdom that the world knew at that time. And the only reason we even know anything about Caesar Augustus today outside of history books is because we read that story at Christmas in Luke chapter 2. It's kind of like a footnote, footnote to the story of Jesus. What a different, what a difference it's made all these years. That great commission wasn't just in Matthew's account that he alluded to. It says it this way in Matthew. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He also said this in Mark. What did he say in Mark? Go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but who, who does not believe will be condemned. What did Luke say? This is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day in repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. A little more subtle in John's gospel. Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And in case they didn't get it, in Acts chapter 1, right before he ascends into heaven, he says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth. And this is not new information for the disciples. In each gospel, the sending of disciples into the world all points back to the beginning of their call to be disciples three years earlier. It says he chose the disciples, and in Mark 3.13, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. From the very beginning, this, this intensive training with them and living with them was to prepare them for this great commission. And so God is in the business of building his church. He is in the business of building this gathering of people around this idea that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So this has permeated Christian institutions and churches all through the centuries. Uh, if I could pull up magically all the doctrinal statements of all the churches and Christian institutions, there's going to be three truths that you're going to find in all of them that should grip us. And I, and I would just challenge you to, to write these down if, if you'd like. They're, they're just really important. The first one is this, the lostness of humanity apart from the forgiveness found in Christ. The lostness of people outside of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 talks about that we are, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are spiritually not alive. Psalm 51 says that we are born with a sinful nature. And we pursue that path. So we are lost apart from God. And some people say, well, you know, Pastor, but I, I know this person. They're not a Christian, but they're a good person. Well, I that they may be a good person, but they still have things in their lives that don't measure up to God's standard. And so in the eyes of God, they're guilty. And so they're lost. The second truth is that God passionately pursues the lost. 1 Timothy 2.3 says that this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. 
You know that verse? That's a, that's a wonderful verse. 1 Timothy 2.3, I didn't put it on the screen. I had so many verses up there. But this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, how do we reconcile that with election and predestination? I'm talking about that next week, so come back for that. But we believe that God passionately pursues lost. And so how does that manifest itself? Well, that's real in our lives. That's real in the life of this church. Um, we say sometimes that we're, we're a missions-minded church, and we are. We talk about missionaries on Sunday mornings. We give money to support our missionaries. We have them up front. We have a conference every year. Um, we highly esteem people who do missions work. We believe that that's important in God's economy. And we are so mission-minded that we send our very own into the world. Half of the missionaries that this church supports have some connections back here. Some of them are our own sons and daughters. Many of you have gone on short-term missions trip. Many of you. Well, why do we do that? We do that because we believe those two truths, that people are lost without Jesus, and God cares. God really cares. God pursues this world. So that drives us to do this. And we do this because roughly three out of every ten people on this planet have either never heard the gospel or have little or no opportunity to hear it. They have not responded to Jesus. So we're talking... We're talking about hundreds of millions, billions of people without Christ. It brings me to the third truth. So people are lost apart from God. God pursues the lost. The third thing is this. Don't miss this. God uses human agents to help people in his process. Now, I can't take away from the fact that it's his process. God draws people to himself. The Holy Spirit works in people's lives. But there's also a mixture here where human beings are involved in this process. That's why it says in Proverbs 11.30, He who wins souls is wise. That's why it says in Daniel 12, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever. Daniel 12, 3. James 5, 20 says, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Jude says it this way, Be merciful to those who doubt and snatch others from the fire and save them. God in his plan and in his wisdom and in his own individual economy decided to use human beings in his process of bringing people to himself. Paul, the Apostle Paul makes this very, very clear. You, you, get, you get to chapter 9 in, in Romans and you read about the election of God and predestination and you get all that. And then you get to chapter 10 and he says, and then he says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And you're trying to reconcile that. And then he goes on to say this in Romans 10, 14, and 15. 
How then can they call on the one they have not believed in, and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? So, so let's review for just a minute. Jesus Christ told his disciples, he said, I'm going to build a gathering, a church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will build my church. And he has been doing that for 2,000 years. As a part of how he has built his church, he says to all of his disciples, go and make disciples, go and make disciples, go and make disciples. Go and be witnesses unto me. I've, I, I've commissioned you as my ambassadors to stand in my stead for you. How are people going to hear unless we preach it? So, hallelujah, praise God, we're sending missionaries out, so we're getting it done, Right? Yes, and let's keep sending missionaries. Is that enough? No, that's not enough. It's not enough. Uh, yeah, well, well those, we're sending people out so that all the people here and have a chance to respond. Do you know what is the fifth largest mission field in the world? United States of America. And in terms of numbers of people without Christ. Fifth largest. So let me ask you this. What about those people? What about people who haven't committed their lives to Christ in America? Are they not as lost as people in Bangladesh or India? Nigeria, Mexico. You see, I believe that people without Jesus are just as lost in America as anywhere else. Do you? Do you believe that? Robertson McQuilkin was one of my spiritual heroes. He was the... Um, his father founded Columbia Bible College in, in seminary and uh, in, in the school that Connie and I attended. And, and Robertson was his son, and Robertson had gone off to Japan as a missionary, and he came back to be the president of the school. And he was the president while, while we were there. And, and some of you might have heard his story when he was like 59 years old. He, he, he stepped down from that position and lots of other places of influence that he had to take care of his wife, who had early onset. Alzheimer's and, and, and walked away from all that and there's been some stories written about that and again he, at lots of levels he was a, a spiritual hero for us. About 10 years ago Christianity Today published a great article written by him about missions and it asked the question and the, the title of the article was what happened to the idea, idea of rescuing people from hell? And he talked about how that in mission circles now, there's lots of good reasons that people do missions. There's lots of things that undergird uh, a missions program, and I would say any kind of evangelistic outreach of the church. 
There are good reasons we do that. We do this because we love God who told us to make disciples. Uh, we do this because it brings glory to God and it pleases to God. It pleases God. But he also argues that we always need to remember that people perish without Jesus. And that rescuing them from hell is a reason to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we look at the church a little broader, there's, um, there's something that's happened in roughly the last hundred years where a lot of the mainline denominations have, have gotten away from what we would say is the core of the gospel, that people need to give their lives to Christ. And so a lot of their missionary programs have become um, more about saving people in the here and now than saving people from hell. And so what's happened is they, they love people right now and they seek their physical health and they seek justice and they relieve poverty and they advance education. And those are all good things and those are things that we ought to be about. But hear me, hear me, we, we, we can't stop with just doing that. Otherwise, all we will be doing, all we will be doing is sending healthier, wealthier, and more educated people to hell. So, so I, I hope today that you get a deep sense and a deep reminder of that people are lost without Christ. And it breaks God's heart. But I want to say this. God has done his, done his part. And he has given us now a part to play. I saved the, the best verse from John for last. You know it. It's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He came so that people would not perish, not be separated from him forever, not endure hell. It goes on in verse 17 and say, he didn't come, his intent is not to condemn us, but to save us. That is the good news. So it's pretty straightforward. God loves people so much that he gave Jesus, his only son, to save us from perishing in hell, and he uses us in the rescue program so that people will hear there's an old legend that goes back that goes back to when Jesus died and he went back to heaven and the legend has it that he engaged in conversation with Gabriel the angel and Gabriel was talking with him and he saw the marks of the crucifixion on Jesus and he said master you suffered terribly for those on earth and Jesus said yes I did and Gabriel asked he said well do they do they all know about this do they know about your life and your death and the forgiveness that you offer to them have they all heard about your death and resurrection and Jesus said well no not yet 
He said, you know, right now, I've, I, a handful of people in Palestine know about my death and resurrection. Gabriel looked perplexed. He said, well, how's everybody going to find out about this? How's everybody going to find out about your, your life, your death, your resurrection? And Jesus said, well, you know, I've, I've asked Peter and James and John and a handful of friends and followers to tell other people about it, and they'll hear it, and they'll believe it and respond to it, and they'll in turn tell other people, and eventually the whole planet, Earth, will hear. Gabriel's shaking his head. He's kind of frowning. He says, but, but Lord, you, you know the, how those people are all down on earth. What if, what if Peter, James, and John, what, what if they get tired or what if they tell the story but the next generation gets tired or they get involved with pursuits of, of making money and just building their kingdoms on earth and what if way down in the 15th century or the 18th century or the 21st century people aren't committed to your commission anymore Lord have you have you made have you made any other plans and Jesus looked him in the eye and he said no I haven't I'm counting on them counting on them he's counting on us because you see people are lost without Jesus and God has made a way because he passionately loves them but he's left us here as his witnesses as his ambassadors as his representatives as ones who give voice to this great and glorious message. No, he, he's counting on you, and he's counting on me. Let's stand together for our closing prayer. As always, if you want to hear more about the, the message of Jesus, if this is new information, or you're ready to make some response to that, I'd love to chat with you. Father, grip our hearts with what grips your heart. Break our heart with what breaks your heart. Fill us with the same love and passion that you have for people. And Lord, whatever we need to change, whatever we need to give up, whatever we need to do, where we need to man up or woman up, Help us so that we can be a light for you to the end of the age. So that one day we'll, there will be many in your kingdom, a many around your throne, to give praise and honor and glory to you for you're worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.